Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here, as always, with Howard Tybal. And his most favorite coffee, Pete's Coffee. Hey. You know, I, should, I should be doing an ad for Pete's Coffee. <laughs> you should. Pete's Coffee. Much better than Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And if people knew what a road warrior you were, that you're doing it with Pete's Coffee in your car. Can I you say that? You didn't say that. Oh, you did reveal that, didn't you? I did. I love that. Yeah, I'm doing it in my car. And you I mean, sound just, great. We have it. We have. We had a time to do this, Pete. I was in between meetings. I couldn't get back. The traffic was horrible. I am parked in the shade with my Pete's coffee. Let's do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> we are talking about uh, shared services today, getting started with shared services. But before we dig into that, make sure you head over to the website, tybalink.com. And there you can find everything you'd ever possibly want to know about Tybalink and this show. You can subscribe to the show for free. You can listen to it right there on the web. You can sign up to our email list and make sure that you get uh, each episode every week as soon as it goes live. Be the first to know. Uh, and of course, uh, links to everywhere you can share your thoughts and get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. So all the old business out of the way, Howard, why yes. is it important for us to be talking about shared services right now and, and uh, moving into a shared services model? That's a really, you know, it's interesting. I've been in this conversation around shared services and helped implement shared services at a number of different schools, probably between five and eight years ago. And this that's is just, not that's so just like, when you started hearing about it, right? Is that that or, no, or was that like a crest of a wave? Around, no, that I mean, it's been around a lot longer than that. I mean, the the kind of shared services that have made its way to most institutions or to many institutions is the idea of the student facing uh, kind of model where you bring together the student support services, the financial aid office, the bursar's office, and you provide uh, this concept of one stop shopping. So that's the client or the or the student facing kind of service model. The, the service models that are that take more thought, more buy-in, more involvement are more of the back office type of functions. So I, th I think it might be useful, Pete, to just start with a, a definition of what we're talking about here. Okay, perfect. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this because having written this and, and grabbed this from different sources too, the term shared services refers to a streamlining process were administrative tasks or technology management services that regularly occurred across several departments in the organization are placed under the authority of one unit. For example, instead of each department handling human services functions for its own employees, an institution or system-wide human resources office is created. And what this does, and, and by the way, that's one example. If you think about different levels of shared services, there would be the basic functionality and those would be things like facilities, HR, IT, communication, uh, audit, compliance and risk management, institutional effectiveness. The, 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 the basic concept is, and, and I think that in many ways this is in response to, that how most higher ed has evolved is as a very decentralized kind of management function, series of functions to get to get the work done uh, that are supporting the teaching and research. And in the decentralization, what we have done is we have put 
people in positions to be doing things that they do infrequently, but we've got somebody outside of everyone's office doing things the same way. And once where this actually began the shift and it got some momentum was, you know, in the nineties, a lot of institutions went through the, the, the ERP or the PeopleSoft Oracle enterprise wide system implementation. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and then when they did this, part of what these large consulting firms, Oracle and PeopleSoft sold them is this idea of uh, self-service that we can give you the ability to have everybody sitting in their own individual department or individual office and be able to upload all of their data, whether it is their um, purchasing or whether it's their accounts payable information or whether it's their travel information. Sounds great. But the implementation of it played out that the systems were not as easy and actually they were difficult and kludgy. And... Because of the infrequency of doing these tasks, most people don't get comfortable with it. So, the, oh, and I the remember. I mean, it would require training and retraining and retraining and retraining. Yeah, and there's really, in some ways, no going back. This, the, the systems that people are using at their desktop is is not going away. However, institutions are recognizing because they're seeing lots of examples of their peers doing this, of taking a function like uh, financial functions, accounts payable, procurement, and bringing this into a shared body that would then inherit the work of individual units. And what would happen if you just think about the simplicity of this, those that shared unit or that unit that operates as a shared service model allows these individuals to be doing this work more frequently. They develop competencies. They become the experts. The so so in theory, I think nobody would argue with the concept. In practice, it's in some cases very hard to do. So so this is what we're talking about: is bringing together functions that are happening across a system, whether it's across an academic area or an IT function that's happening across the school and saying, let's create a central body that can serve in a, in a shared um, support function to multiple units. Okay. All right. I, so that's the model. That's the model. I imagine, uh, you know, we're, we're, I already have some uh, fears and concerns percolating up in the back of my mind, so I'm hoping That's, you can you can walk through some of the benefits. Yeah, you, well, because yeah, I'm faculty, right? I mean, <laughs> you get to play faculty right now. Yeah, all right. Go, yeah. Give it to me. Give it to me. No, no, no. I first, I want you to sell me more of these of, of these sort of the the benefits. We know the model, but and and we I understand sort of the the streamlining of and, and the way you've put it. It seems like sort of low hanging fruit, right? Centralizing administrative resources, centralizing financial resources. That departmentally, um, you know, I I recognize the idea is that we may have more bandwidth if we put all these functions together and can actually accomplish more. Uh, First of all, I want to know, Pete, is what kind of faculty member are you? Are you one of these faculty members that really wants to collaborate with the administrative side of the house? Are you somewhere in the middle or are you just playing me lip service? Tell the truth. <laughs> you lip service? <laughs> I do that every day. I mean, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, I, I think that I, I want to say both you know, things. I want you to do this. Represent them all. 
Well, I'm going to represent one that I, I personally really like having the uh, administrative resource that I have at my uh, disposal who takes care of all of my problems, all yes. of my challenges. It's always yes. right there. And I worry yes. that if I lost that administrative resource or had to now go into some sort of a shared services model that I wouldn't get the same sort of, I'm going to say it out loud here, love and care. Love and care is exactly the right word to describe it. And by the way, I think administrators very much minimize uh, the value and importance of that kind of you open your door and there's the person that there's to support you and they can do everything. I think if we're honest about it, though, the person that's sitting outside our door has not been given sufficient training and probably will never be given sufficient training to do a really great job at the level of complex kind of uh, HR, IT, financial work. And I'm not saying this is true across the board, but this is not about replacing that person. This is about providing additional support to that person. And, and, And I think the 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 rightful fear is that what we're putting in place here is I'm going to lose my person and I now have to deal with this voice on the other end of the phone that that doesn't understand my nuance. So the implementations that I have seen gone very well helped faculty understand that this is about, first, first of all, you can't go into this with the answer. You got to go into this with as an exploration, and you need faculty on uh, on the team uh, to help evaluate what should we be sharing, right? It, we have to start with why even bother doing this. Well, and again, for some faculty, and even I'd say more faculty than administrators, efficiency is not their number one concerns. But that is an administrator concern, and I think we have to appreciate both sides. Administrators have to appreciate the importance of faculty having good support on site, and faculty need to appreciate the importance of efficiency across divisions. Here's the the thing. No, I've got it for you. I I figured it out. I use the words love and care, but I think think that may be uh, also hiding uh, the true intention here. Administrators uh, certainly need to... Um, while faculty need to understand the 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 need to support to ha- be supported, what faculty really want is uh, that sort of oh I'm I'm going to make some people angry is attention. What do you mean? I, I mean there is there is a part of me when I step into the classroom that yeah. that wants to feel like I have a team of people who are aware of my needs before I have them. Mm. And they give me that constant attention, not support. This is not support. This is, this is a, this is a, I am the star kind of, I'm making things happen uh, in the classroom. Now I'm not saying that's valid or real or necessarily uh, uh, much of a team player approach, but I also think that feeds into the fear. Am I going to get the same personal attention when I lose that resource? So what's interesting about that is I would say that there may be a, First of all, put aside, you know, the being the star. And I think there's a lot of value. I know that I want someone to anticipate my needs. Uh, I think that is a that is a, a very valid uh, desire, especially if if you are the one that is the 
forward-facing, uh, you know, central to the mission, teaching and research. I think you have every right to want to get as much support so you can do a phenomenal job in your work. Now, the other side of that is the reality of the constraints about not having enough resources or not having not being able to hire the kind of resources across a large institution where we've got finance experts sitting at every desk and we've got HR experts sitting at every desk. So it's insufficient in my experience that we just rely on the, the HR department and somehow they will figure out how to work with my people sufficiently uh, or the finance department. We need these in a sense liaisons and that's what these roles are. You know, this is about creating greater consistency in work practices. It is about streamlining processes. I know I'm speaking to the choir when I, when I, if, if there are administrators listening to this, but I also know if, I, if there are faculty listening to this, they're thinking, I don't really care as much about that. All I, all I can say if that, is a, if that is out there, and I don't think this is out there as we, I, as we claim. I think administrators can exaggerate uh, faculty resistance. I think faculty want to understand what you're doing and be able to weigh in on what you're doing. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's absolutely – Okay, okay. But I'm add one more thing here. Yeah. There's a need for data, greater data accuracy. If these institutions are going to be able to purchase and pay and understand how their cost structure really works, make sure that uh, their IT systems are running fluidly, we need better data. And I can tell you that if you have – somebody outside your office doing all of these technical tasks across an institution, it is a chronic problem about the inaccuracies and then the back offices often finding themselves correcting. Now, the answer might be, and in some cases is, training. What we're talking about here is in some cases taking incremental steps. So let's, let's, let's just talk for a minute about, um, because I, I, I could list off a whole series of other uh, benefits. I think if you're sitting in the office, the question you would be asking is, what's the benefit to me? Exactly. Right? Well, and and this is what I was going to say. Just before you say that, it's this idea that as a faculty member, I think you nailed it, right? Is that I don't care necessarily about all of the the sort of administrative machinations that need to go on to, to make this happen. What I care about is that you understand... Uh, administrator, the thing that I fear I'm losing, and that you have a place to provide me the same level of service or better to help make this transition easier. Change is one thing, but I I need to know that I'm going to have some service. Yeah, but you know, you just you just use some language there that I think is uh, a lightning rod or or where we set ourselves up for failure. Oh, good. Uh, I want the same level or better service. If, if I give you different service, I'm telling you out of the gate, you're not going to interpret that as the same level. So out of the gate, we have to be willing to suspend some disbelief and trust, as long as our administrators are including us, trust those who are implementing these kinds of changes that they're taking these things into account. And I can tell you, if you're leading a project and if you're not involving those who you're affecting in that kind of way, you are going to make it more likely that 
even if you put this in place, the reaction from people are is going to be, I don't like it because you changed it. And the fact that you changed it, it's not better. So the only way you're going to build trust and, and get people to look at it out of the gate is saying, we're doing it differently. I know this is going to be different and in some cases harder. And we're going to have a mechanism for dealing with some of those breakdowns in the transition. Now, when you think about implementing something like this, you know, the, the, the classic challenge is where do you start? You know, do you start with you start with the places that have the greatest need? Do you start with the places that actually have the greatest receptivity? And I would say that you really have to you really the way to think about this is start where you can be you can demonstrate some success and get some positive buy-in from those who have made the transition because that in itself becomes the seeds to go to a, a more complex department, for example, or a series of departments and saying, we'd like to put this in here. And that's what a lot of schools are doing. They start with a group or a series of groups and they pilot it. And then what they do is they expand on those successes. They learn from it and they expand on it. So in, in a few minutes, I'll tell you sort of the way to get this thing started. But fundamentally, I think where we need to pay attention is – the dialogue we have been having, which is how do we engage those we're affecting in a way that they know they're taking us into account, but, but you then have to tell the truth. You can't make promises you, you know you can't keep or you're not certain you can keep. And that's where these projects sometimes go off the rails is in the, in the intent – with the intent to sell it, to win people over, to, to get these systems in – we exaggerate the benefit. And I can tell you, it may be very difficult to get a particular department head uh, or someone in a series of departments to be convinced before you do it, this is going to be good for them. I think you need to do a better job of saying, you know what, I understand why this is going to be hard. Let's understand what we do want you, what you do want to have your people retain and what you want what you're willing to gov up i can tell you that one of the one of the benefits of this is you have what you do is you free up and again you can't think on day 1 6 months to a year down the road 6 months let's say 6 months okay you free up the person who has been doing these tasks that cannot do them very well because they're not being trained sufficiently or the systems are kludgy or combination. It frees up them to be doing more high level or different work. And it, it, I can tell you that when I've been part of these, part of the conversation that has to happen is, all right, let's think about how you'd like to use the person sitting outside your office in a more strategic or tactical way that would benefit your work. So it forces them to step back and to not just keep doing it the way they've always doing it, but to say, you know what, I can now give this person some work that I, I don't have a resource for, but now that they have more free time because they're not doing all of those complex tasks, they can take on these other things. So, so the, that is a nut, that is probably one of the more tangible benefits is it, opens the door for a different way way of working 
with the person who is there to support you. Well, and I think that gets to a secondary fear, right, which is if, if you're going to a shared services model, are you does streamlining equal downsizing? And you know, that's right. that's I imagine right. those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. I mean, it, okay. It, so, so, so you, you, I think you hit you hit it on the head, which is, what if I have a person sitting outside my office that I know beyond the stuff that they're doing, there really isn't other work for them to be doing. Uh, am I at risk if I embrace this of saying that my person now? has, you know, a 50% workload, what do I do about that? And what I can say, all I can say to you and, and anyone in response to that is you can either look at the negative or you can say, what is the opportunity? And, and if we think about the opportunity more about the whole versus the, the individual, the opportunity could be is that you're, this person then takes on and supports maybe another person. Maybe you have a resource that you can now share among multiple people. And and this is not budget cutting. This is about finding ways to have the right people focusing on the right tasks so that the work can get done well. And we're either going to keep investing in more and more training that I can tell you often doesn't produce the outcome uh, and, and upgrading and, and then buying into the idea these systems are going to get simpler uh, to use. But there's no getting around the fact is that we're not going to have administrators outside our office for the most part who are going to be experts. And this is a way to offset them not having to be experts. Okay. I, I hear you, and I think you, you – to step back just a few minutes when you told me that I became a lightning rod, <laughs> uh, I, I hear you, and I appreciate your response. And I think you highlight in your response uh, a, a key critical point in communicating a transition to a shared services model because whether or not I'm a lightning rod on this – you know, in this particular show, I, I have to imagine that what I said is something that – has been heard and will continue to be heard from no question. those who become, uh, you know, service disenfranchised. And and by the way, I, I'm using faculty because the faculty administrator uh, example is it's, one that we so can relate easy. to. Yeah. No, no, it's not. It's right in front of us. It's no, always well, right there. It, I don't mean it easy like it's an easy thing to like. I mean it's uh, people can relate to it. Right. Right. So, so what I'm talking about here uh, is this. By the way, this can apply to and, and should be applying to administrative functions in in administrative areas. Yes. Right. And the 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 whole idea behind this is finding a way to do a better job in the front end where the work's being done, but also as the data gets collected, that it's being done in a way that you have more accurate data uh, the first or second time versus the fifth time. And you're able then to use that data more effectively. We are, we are so inefficient in, in how we work. And, and I'll tell you something, and, and, and I'm going to say this, that part of what higher ed's going through too is trying to figure out the kind of person they should be hiring, you know? So when there is a vacancy and you're looking for a new position to, you know, maybe report to the dean or report to the head of a department, that skill set is very different from the skill set that it was 10 years ago. 
And the challenge today is for those still in those roles, how do they get the sufficient training to, to move to the next level? And all I can say is half the battle there is are they willing to see themselves as a lifelong learner? Because if they're not, I can tell you that if, if you're not aware of it, other people are talking about you as somebody that's not willing to change. And part of what's going on right now in all of this change is what are the kind of people should be working here? And I can tell you it's less about that you walk in with all the skill sets. It's that you have a desire to learn and you have a capacity to learn. And if you bring that to your job, I don't care what age you are, you will succeed in this environment. You're, you may have outgrown your individual job, but there is a place for you if you have the capacity to learn and the desire to learn. I, As we get into wrapping up here, how well do you think you can summarize this getting started approach to shared services and maybe offer a point that that can help us move beyond just getting started how do you how where would you start to move into sort of uh, uh you know brown belt ninja status well uh, so interesting you know the getting started ideas is interesting because you know you talk to a school they're saying they're just getting started when in fact they have service for shared services everywhere but but what they're really saying is we've done it every place that was just easy now we're trying to tackle the tough ones right so whether you have whether you have never put a shared service on campus or you've got a bunch, but they were easy because maybe they were the one-stop shopping kind of service and, and everybody bought into it. The first thing to do is to, is to get people together to understand what we're talking about and what we're not talking about. And if the truth is the motivation behind this is not to downsize, you need to go out of your way and make that clear and show how you're going to do that if that's really the case. But getting the kind of working group and team together that is cross-functional, that represents the faculty, the students, uh, and again, it depends on this kind of service center, but if you're doing a financial service center uh, that does finance and HR functions, then you want representation of those that need to look at data, those that are affected by the change, and then once you bring them together, you share with them the different kinds of models that are, out, that are out there. And there's all kinds of models, right? There's models where you've got one leader supporting multiple units. You've got one leader supporting one major unit. You've got one leader in mixed units. So I mean, I, when I say call it a unit, I mean a unit that might be outside of a division. And there's all there, there's so much information out there now that demonstrates where schools have done this successfully and also where they haven't been successful. Um, the next really exciting thing about this is to use it as the opportunity to look at your business practices. Really, this is not just about replacing one person with another person doing it. This is about saying, how should we do this function? How should we, tra how should we do travel reimbursement differently from a business practice so that it is more effective for all of us, the person at the front desk and the first person in the back office. And that process of looking at the business model or the business practices then leads to this idea of, well, how should we structure this? You create a plan for design, but you have a cross-functional team that's part of this. So as you can tell, 
says this is not a – there's very few things today you can do by mandate on a college campus. You can't – it's a – you know, the executive vice president or the president could say we're putting a service center in and then that's in itself sufficient. The mandate has to be there. But then you got to bring a coalition together to then begin to understand what it means and then get them involved. And that takes time. So you, so you have to be willing to recognize that this is not an overnight exercise, but you can, you can, you can start with the, with the d- divisions or departments that have the greatest interest and maybe need. I mean, that's the ideal one. Greatest interest and openness and a need, and that's where you start, and then you build off of that. Well, uh, if you can't solve your shared services problems with that summary, I don't know how you're going to do it. How about that? <laughs> well, you know what? I think what this does, because you're, you're, you're so kind to me. You know, you love saying things like, yeah, that was really true. I, I solved the problem. And then half a second after, it's like, oh, my God, I didn't solve anything. <laughs> and what I did was I gave a framework yes. for hopefully – people to say, you know what? I've been thinking about doing this. I'm ready now to tackle something that I have not been willing to do yet. Uh, and, and sometimes all people need is a couple of little tips to, to take that next step. I think so. And I, I think if anything, uh, you know, this framework uh, at least highlights, uh, based on your experience, where where the pitfalls are and where the fears are, because those fears, if we don't address them and talk about them, become irrational pretty fast. And and in really fact, fast. There, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity here. And if we can frame it like that and communicate clearly and often, uh, you know, that, that I think uh, certainly is what I have taken away from this conversation today. You're one of my favorite faculty members. You know that? You should come to one of my classes. I'd love to. Yeah, that'd be good. Would you introduce sure. me to some? Would you? Would, could I ask questions? <laughs> of course not. No, we don't. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Hey, uh, thanks everybody for listening and, uh, and joining us on the show. Make sure you head out and uh, learn more about us, typolink.com. We would love to hear from you how your shared services transition is going. Follow Howard on uh, at, Ty- at Howard Tybel on Twitter. You should definitely follow him there uh, for additional juicy insights oh, from yeah. the field. Juicy. Juicy. God, promoter. Back on the road, Howard. Thank there you we so go. Much, sir. Thanks, right. everybody. We'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. Mm-hmm.